Hey, I'm Michael Wood, lead pastor at First West. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here in just a second, we're gonna dive into God's word and to see what it says about who he is, about who we are, and about the hope that can be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that today God's word will encourage you, it'll challenge you, and it'll allow you to see that no matter where we find ourselves, there's always hope because of Jesus Christ. So let's dig in and see what God has for us today in his word. Hey, I'm uh, excited to be with you guys this morning. And uh, as we get started here today, uh, it's no secret to any of you that know Ann and me uh, and Ralph and Jennifer Calhoun, who are grandparenting uh, counterparts uh, on Anna's side of the family, that the dominant topic of our lives these days, and by these days, I mean like the last 10 months, uh, has been this grandson that we share. And um, we're just a little bit excited about that. Uh, we suddenly care about things that we haven't cared about in a long, long time, things that we haven't had to consider in years, things like how's he sleeping and how's he eating and how much does he weigh and all those kind of things. That, that's kind of what's going on. And um, we have learned or been reminded of the fact that there are some standards apparently that exist out there in the baby raising world and that that uh, are markers that you're looking for. There's, there's expectations about ranges of height and, or length, I guess. They don't call it height quite yet. They're length right now. I don't know when they changed it from calling, how long was he, how tall is he, but I just thought about that. I don't know how much they weigh. You know, somebody comes up with this stuff and they have these ideas and these standards about where babies ought to be. And, uh, you know, that's just kind of to give an idea on how the child is progressing. And, you know, we've, you know, we, we kind of a little bit paying attention to that some because our little guy got here five weeks early. So we know that things are a little bit different and changed for him. And so I assume it's not an exact science. It's kind of a range there, but, but we pay attention to that. So there's these growth charts and there's these markers. And if something is wrong, then, then the pediatrician can kind of address that and help make some adjustments and do some things, whether it's diet or some medication or some treatment or whatever, to kind of help the child get up to where, where it's supposed to be. My, my big frame of reference that I have and that I remember, and one of the things that, that I get called back to from those days was when Caleb, our son, was, was tiny. Um, Dr. Beauregard was his pediatrician. And y'all, Dr. Beauregard was legend around here. He's awesome. He's the man. And Caleb was one of his, and kind of toward the tail end of his medical career. And we just love Dr. Beauregard. Man, he's with Jesus now. Uh, he was a faithful member here of our church. Man, served the Lord well. And he loved Caleb, and Caleb loved Dr. Beauregard. And one of the things that was really, uh, that helped bond them was this. And this is a moment of pride I'd love to share with y'all. When my son was able to say out loud to Dr. Beauregard, Dr. Beauregard, he said that. That's a big word for a little kid to say. And Dr. Beauregard was so impressed, and we could see it on his face, and he just lit up, and he was just tickled that Caleb was able to say Beauregard out loud. And that made me feel like an accomplished parent, that, that we had <laughs> instilled some, some verb, verbiage and vo vocabulary with our son that he was able to do that. Well, we, we trust our medical professionals and pediatricians to evaluate and prescribe uh, the things that are needed to help, help your child uh, mature well. Well, just like it's the parent's responsibility to, to follow that instruction and to, and to help out and help those, those children to, to be raised up and grow up well, we pastors uh, of, of this church and of the flock in general have responsibility and we have a calling on our life to, 
The scripture says to equip the saints, the believers, for the work of the ministry. We have a shepherding responsibility to help make sure that that growth is, is happening. And so it's important that we look at how we're doing, both as a church, but then that we have some markers for us individually that we look at to say, hey, how are we growing and how are we moving forward in our faith? And that we set things up and we have ministries and we have equipping and training in such a way that we are accomplishing and we're growing in the ways that the Lord would have us to grow. So that's a big part of it. And that's what this series is going to be about for us. That's what we're aiming toward. In 1865, Lewis Carroll wrote the classic book, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. So we know it as Alice in Wonderland, but the, the official title, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, and that represents the child's struggle to survive in the confusing world of adults. If you haven't read Alice in Wonderland in a while, or you ha- haven't seen it, or you've kind of forgotten about it, you may go back and check it out. It's, it's a pretty fascinating thing, but it's some unusual stuff in there. And so this journey that Alice goes on because she falls down a rabbit hole and she ends up in this world that is just highly unusual and, and, and really fascinating and confusing. And so there's this one character called the Cheshire Cat, and the Cheshire Cat's known for this big old grin that it had. Well, that's the one character that wound up being somewhat of a helpful guide to Alice. He would kind of come moving in and out of the story. And so they had an encounter where Alice said, would you tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? And the Cheshire Cat said, that depends a good deal on where you want to get to. And Alice said, I don't much care where. And the Cheshire Cat said, then it doesn't much matter which way you go. Now, that's interesting, and it's kind of cute when it comes to a fantasy fiction story. But in the real world that we live in, it matters a whole lot which way we're going. Because it matters a whole lot where we're going, what we're headed towards. And it helps us to know what we're aimed toward in order to make sure that we hit the markers along the way. We as believers are called to pursue a goal. Paul described it like this to the Philippians. He said, uh, not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I've also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do Forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue. That's the title of our series here. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. So there is an aim and a pursuit. He taught and and wrote to the the Colossian church uh, a a similar uh, type thing just to, to help understand what was important to them. He said, In verse 27 of chapter 1, God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The responsibility of these early apostles that they took on, that they felt the weight of, was that they be pursuing that goal of that upward call in Christ Jesus, but also taking responsibility for the other believers in the body that they present them as mature one day. So that takes a commitment. That takes a a, a process. And so we have identified here at First West what we consider to be seven marks of a maturing believer. And beginning next week, we're going to take that first one, and we're going to move through those because it's important for us to make sure that we know where we're going. If we don't know where we're going, then it doesn't much matter. I mean, any direction that you want to go, but it does matter. 
we're going somewhere. We're going to be in the presence of the Lord, and we're going to experience that inheritance one day. So what's happening right now to make sure that we're making the kind of progress that we ought to make to accomplish that? That's what we're looking at. So the disciples feel this weight of responsibility. I want to take you to 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. And so if you'll be turning your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, and while you're turning there, again, Peter, known as Simon first, then Jesus began to call him Peter, Petra, that rock. And he, remember Jesus said, upon this rock, I'll build my church. And we talked a couple of weeks ago about this, about the situation with Peter, where we know he walked closely. He was part of the inner circle with Jesus. Peter, James, and John are those three that were even closer to, to Jesus than the other disciples. They walked with him. And uh, Peter was pretty, pretty brassy and felt good about himself. And he was kind of, kind of boisterous and a little bit on the arrogant side, maybe about his faith. And he promised that he wouldn't deny Jesus. We know that he did three times. We know the guilt and shame that landed on him for that. But then we also know after the resurrection that Jesus restored Peter. He gave him that command, feed my lambs, shepherd my sheep, feed my sheep. And so he, he gave him back that ministry. And that's the Peter that we're talking about right here. That's important to understand who, who this guy was. Well, Peter is spreading the gospel uh, he's been on a missionary type journey. He's writing a letter here and to the, uh, these, these believers that have been dispersed throughout this different region. And if you kind of, on, if you got maps in the back of your Bible there, you see from the Black Sea over through the north of Turkey, kind of clockwise down, there's a, a, a number of places that are mentioned that are places that, that Paul really didn't, wasn't able to get to. So between Paul and Peter, they were able to cover this, this big piece of territory. And these believers have been dispersed. There's real challenge because persecution is going on. These are challenging days. These are difficult times for them. So he writes to give them some real instruction. Peter is rich in theology. First Peter is loaded up with it, but also some, some, a game plan and some perspective on how they ought to, how to live and lead. So I want to encourage you to stand with me, please, as we honor God's word. And we'll begin reading in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this truth. Thank you for what you made real in Peter's life. Lord, that he felt compelled to be able to share with others and ultimately we're able to see it today and know that this truth applies to us. Lord, as we Dig into your word, help us to understand it, and help us to be moved to do what it is that you call us to do. In the strong name of Jesus, amen. Please be seated. The main idea that we're going for today is this, that God calls believers to go all in in pursuing him. 
God calls believers to go all in in pursuing him. Paul talked about pressing towards that, that goal, uh, pursuing that upward call, about being mature and developing mature uh, believers in Jesus Christ. We're called to do that. And Peter uh, gives some great instruction and gives some great framework to these that are in, experiencing some challenging times. Now, the word pursue, what, what's that really all about? Pursue is what you do. You pursue something when you perceive that reaching or attaining or capturing that something is worth the effort of pursuing it because it represents a greater reality than what you're currently living in or where, staying where you are or with what you currently have. There's something better. So it's worth pursuing. It's worth leaving from where I am and not being content, not just geographically, but with the aim of your life, not being content to stay right there, but to press forward. So the first thing we see here from this passage is this. Belief is an anchor for our pursuit. Belief is an anchor for our pursuit. Beginning in verse three, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Peter is saying this, and he's able to say this because he knew from personal close-up experience that Jesus wasn't just a man. He knew that he wasn't just somebody that taught some neat things and, and did some interesting things, even miraculous type things, that Jesus, while 100% man, was also deity. He was the son of God. But he was God in the flesh. And so he is acknowledging that, and that is important for, for those folks to understand, for those that would doubt whether God could, could take on human form, they had to get this. And so Peter makes it really clear. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth. Now, God doesn't wait for us, and he's not looking for us to do something to deserve what he's done for us. This mercy that he extends to us isn't because of anything we've done. It's not like we earned it. It's not like we deserved it. It's not like we could achieve it. He in mercy extends it to us and he extends us this new birth. Now, if you remember in John chapter three, Nicodemus's question, what must I do to have eternal life? What must I do to be, you must be born again. So there's the, 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 the new birth has to happen. We've, we've talked already about when a baby comes into this world, man, there's a physical birth. Every one of us have experienced one of those. We've all been physically born. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been what the scripture describes as born again. That means that there came a point in time when you believed the truth that was taught you or that you read, that was, that was handed down to you, that God is the father, that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the price for your sin debt, a debt that we all have because of our sin that separates us from God, that he sent Jesus to do that. And when he does that, and, and by receiving Jesus, we become his children. He forgives us of our sin and he gives us his presence in our life, but he also gives us the hope of what's ahead. That's, that's what happens here. That's, that's what goes on. So this belief has to be an anchor uh, for our pursuit. So this new birth that happens is into a living hope. Now that's important to understand. It's not just like, well, okay, the baby was born. Good luck. There's an expectation. There is a living hope. There is a progression that happens in the, in the life of that child. And so just like it is on the physical side of things, when a baby comes in this world, from a spiritual standpoint, we're new believers and we're, we're born again. We come into a living hope. 
And it, it is alive and it's active and it's important to understand this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's important to remember that when we talk about salvation, talking about receiving Christ, we don't talk about it just in past tense terms. Those of you that have been around for a little while, you might remember when Dr. Bob Butley was with us uh, serving as our interim pastor. And one of the things that he was so helpful at, at explaining and teaching, to, teaching us about is just this, this threefold concept of salvation that looks like this that I was being, I was saved. There was a point in time when you received Christ and you were saved. But then as you read scripture and you see it, that, that it's an also, a, I am being saved. I was saved. I am being saved. It's not just a one and done deal. There's an active living out of that faith that's growing as a disciple. That is part of that process, part of the salvation process. I was saved. I am being saved. And then there comes that day when we stand face to face with him. Man, if our time comes and, and, and we die uh, before the Lord returns again, then we get to experience that then. We get to experience that what is to come, that promise of what's to come. So I was saved. I am being saved. I will be saved. This is a living hope. It's not some historical fact. It's not some past tense. It's not some history thing. It's living and it's active. And so it matters today. How is that possible? through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Last Sunday, we gathered up at the Ike, and we celebrated Easter Sunday. And what we celebrate at Easter is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that while he died a cruel death for us, while he died that death to pay the price for our sin, he didn't stay in that grave. He conquered sin, death, and the grave, and we, we celebrate that on Easter, that the stone is rolled away, and that the power of, of God through his son, Jesus Christ, it, it exists, and it's available to us today. That's what Peter knew the truth of. Peter had seen Jesus. He knew that he conquered sin, death, and the grave, and that changed everything about him. So it, this belief that he had was the anchor for his life. He knew it to be true because of his personal experience. What about you? Have you had a personal experience with Jesus that is an anchor for you that you can look back to and say, hey, I know that I said yes to Jesus. And I didn't just say it back then. I said it, and now I'm experiencing the benefit of that, that living, alive, ongoing relationship right here, right now. That's, that's what we're asking for. That's what we've talked about here. Peter experienced that. We celebrate that in the resurrection. That's the, the linchpin of our faith. If the resurrection didn't happen, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, then we above all people are to be pitied. But the resurrection did happen, and it happened, and it was so evident that it happened to those that followed Jesus closely that they were willing to speak that truth till the very death, and it cost them their lives. The only disciple that we know of that didn't die for his faith is John. The rest of them were martyred. In fact, we talked about this a couple weeks ago with, with Peter. Peter was crucified. That, that, that image is there. That, I mean, Jesus pointed ahead to him on what was going to happen, that his arms were going to be spread. There were going to be those that, that carried him, that he was tied to that cross. That happened. Peter died. But Peter, because of his great love for Jesus and because of his respect for Jesus, he didn't deem himself worthy to, be, to die in the same way that Jesus did. So he demanded to be crucified upside down. And church tradition holds that that's what happened to Peter. The resurrection happened. These believers that walk with Jesus 
knew it happened, and it, they were willing to stake their very lives on it. So how's that working for you? Do you have a belief in him that serves as an anchor for your faith? Do you have a belief that is so empowered by the resurrection of Jesus that his spirit lives alive in you, that it changes everything about you? Peter was so convinced, he told the believers a couple chapters later here in, in, verse, in chapter 3, verse 15, said to be ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that was in them. In other words, life has been tough for you believers. You're experiencing persecution. You're experiencing challenges. You're experiencing rejection, but yet you still have a pursuit of him and you still have a joy in your life. What is the reason for that? Peter says, be ready to tell him. Be ready to tell him the truth. That's the resurrection uh, of Jesus Christ from the dead, the power of that, what we're born into. Verse four says, and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. That means it doesn't break down, that, 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 that it's not polluted, and that it is, it is timeless. There's not a time factor on that. There's not a time when, okay, well, enough's enough, and, and it doesn't work anymore for you. No, that inheritance is for all time. So that is kind of what is ahead, and it's not talking about a bunch of stuff that we get. Usually when we think about inheritance, the terms that we think about that in is, hey, what we are going to leave to our children or grandchildren or what those that love us have gone on before, what they have left to us is an inheritance. And there's things, and maybe it's some, some financial resources or maybe it's some property or a house or vehicle or whatever it is. But the inheritance it's talking about here is not about material things. It's talking about the very presence of God himself that we get to experience him, that, that this resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead provides for us an in inheritance that is imperishable. And then it ultimately it's kept in heaven for you. That is great news. That is something to aim toward. That's what Paul talked about pressing toward. I hope that you're talking about and thinking about pressing toward it too, but that your life is not just purely got saved here Maybe one day when I'm looking forward to when I die, then I'm good. And then there's the messed up middle right there that you're just kind of, kind of waiting through. No, no, no. This process, man, we get to experience him in his fullness day in and day out. And then ultimately know that he is keeping that for us. And here's, here's the keeping of it. Verse five, you're being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. There's a guarding that happens that the Lord is right here with us. Scripture says that he never leaves us or forsakes us, that he's an ever-present help in time of trouble. Does that mean that we are completely insulated and excluded from any problems? Absolutely not. It doesn't say that at all. It says that, that, while, that he guards us, but he guards our spirit, he guards our soul, he guards our eternity, he guards our inheritance. But we need to know, Scripture says, that it rains on the just and the unjust. For there's some things in this world that happen that we consider to be horribly unfair, and they are. But in the scope of eternity, we've got to know that God has a bigger plan than just the mess that we have to deal with, than just the pain that we have to walk through, whether it's the pain of disease and problems and things like that, or the pain of rejection or being done wrong or harm being done to us. That, that's not it, that there is, there is a better day, and he guards us for that, and he guards that inheritance for us, and we can count on him for that. But I don't want to go there. I want to be there. You ever feel that way? I don't want to go. You know, I mean, you think about it, there's some journeys that you have to go on that you don't want to do. 
There's destinations that you like, but, but you don't have to go. I mean, if you, if you got to drive all the way up to Canada, okay, if you just really like driving, good for you. I've been to Canada. I've been to beautiful places in Canada. I love it. I think it's really cool, but I ain't interested in driving all the way up there. That's a long haul. There's a lot of stuff that I'm not interested in seeing along the way. Hey, we're talking though here about a process that we've got to be willing to go through and know that day in, day out, man, mountaintops, valleys, he walks with us even through the valley of the shadow of death. Peter's belief was, was an anchor for his pursuit and our belief needs to be an anchor for our pursuit. Do you believe that he is who he says he is? Do you believe that he did what he said he would do in your life? Do you believe what you confessed back when you first said yes to Jesus? Second thing is that love is the primary motivator in our pursuit. Love is the primary motivator in our pursuit. I want to skip ahead to verse 8. We're going to come back and pick up these in the, in the middle in just a minute. It says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. Though you've not seen him, you love him. There's the faith component that happens there. That while faith, man, that, that is something that, that even not seeing, not being able to see it and touch it, we know it to be true. There's so much about my experience with the Lord that, that uh, I know to be true, that I can count on, that I, that I know that what he did. I know how I was, and I know what he, what he helped me to change into. I, I know those things. If you've got a story as a believer in Jesus, you know what it used to be like. And then you know what Jesus did that can only be assigned to him. He only, he can get the credit for doing it. That, that's what it is. Well, we ought to love him because of his great love for us. He loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. We show our love for him and our obedience for him. Jesus said that if you love me, obey my commands. That love has to be a primary motivator in our pursuit. I have stood right here where I'm standing a lot of times in my ministry career here. I've been at First West now 31 years. There's been a lot of times I have stood right here and I've helped a couple to, to commit their lives to one another, get hitched right here in this very spot. 100% of the time, have I got your attention? 100% of the time, there are very few things you can say 100% of the time. 100% of the time, when I asked the couple in the premarital counseling session before we get here, they, they've gone through counseling with our counseling center and all that. And then, then I meet with them just to kind of confirm everything before we get right here to this moment. We don't want there to be any uh, misunderstanding or mishaps or mistakes. We want to make sure that they both go into this thing, eyes wide open. I ask them this question and I ask it in this way. And I ask it in this way for a very important reason. Y'all are going to be blown away by the depth of the theology and psychology in this question. Are you ready? I'll look at him and I'll say, what makes you think that 50 years from now, you want to wake up next to that? And then I ask her, what makes you think 50 years from now, you want to wake up next to that? I'm not exaggerating. That's how I ask the question, because I want them to cut through all of the goo-goo-ga-ga, lovey-feely, touchy, a hundred percent of the time, what I hear is, 
First of all, because I love her, because I love him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, duh. <laughs> but do you understand what we're talking about here? Because that gooey feeling that you've got, that excitement, that the pitter-patter kind of thing, you need to know that Monday's coming, okay? Life happens. How many of you have been married more than 15 minutes? <laughs> Am I lying? Straight up. Life happens. It rains on the just and the unjust. Sometimes things happen that are out of our control. We don't have any say-so about. Man, circumstances happen. Health issues happen. Man, problems happen. Some financial things can kind of happen. Jobs can go away. Whatever. You fill in the Kids can do things that you'd rather them not do. You fill in the blank. There are lots of things that happen in the course of life. And if you're depending on feeling for love, you have a misplaced understanding of what love is. It is a commitment. It is a covenant. It is a choice. And so our love for him should be a primary, that is the primary motivator in what we're talking about. It's the primary motivator in our pursuit. If you don't love him, you're not going to pursue him. You're not. If you don't commit to loving one another, there's not going to be that continual pursuit and that continual growth that needs to happen in a marriage relationship. You can apply that to any other relationship out there that you want. You want to grow more in your love. Why? Because he first loved us. Third thing, joy is proof of our ongoing pursuit. Joy is proof of our ongoing pursuit. Look back in verse six. It says, you, he just said in verse five, you're being guarded through faith for salvation that will be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this. You rejoice in this. You rejoice in this. Even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable was refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You rejoice in what you're walking through, even when it's challenging. Verse 8 says, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. You rejoice and there's a difference, and please understand, a major difference in joy and in happiness. Happiness is circumstance-related. Things happen that go your way that you like, that make life better, that make you smile or make you feel loved or whatever like that, and that produces happiness. Lots of things can produce happiness for you. Bad circumstances that happen in your life don't produce happiness. They can produce grief, frustration, disappointment, sadness, all those things. Those are all emotions, Okay. That, that is all of what can happen. Now, joy is different. Joy, there's a depth in joy. Joy is in spite of the circumstances. There is this awareness that there is a greater reality than just the mess that I'm feeling right now, than just the pain that I'm walking through right now. The joy is knowing that he is my source, that he is an ever-present help in time of trouble, that he has not left me or forsaken me. And by the way, I know what's coming and it's better than I can ever imagine. And so in the midst of the mess of life that it happens to all of us, there's the ability to have joy. Joy is proof of our ongoing pursuit. If you're not pursuing him, if you're not pursuing maturity as a believer, then you're not going to be able to dial into the joy that he calls us to have. 
There are going to be some tough days. Notice this in verse 9. It says, because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Again, continuous act, not only in the past, or not just a hope about what will be, but it's happening right now. I grew up um, in a family that enjoyed hunting. My Specifically, we grew up rabbit hunting. And we did that because we had beagles that run rabbits. Beagles are dogs. And the reason that beagles exist are not to provide a cute little companion for those of you that like to have them in your homes. God bless you if you do. Beagles were made to chase rabbits. That's what they do. My daddy loved that. My daddy loved his beagles. And we, as far as all, long as I can remember, we always had beagles. And on Saturday mornings during hunting season, me, my dad, my brother, and his friends, we were going, and we lived down in South Louisiana, so deer hunting really wasn't an option for us where we live. We had a lease, though, for rabbit hunting. So we went and hunted rabbits every Saturday morning. We loved them. We loved everything about it. We loved the experience with the dogs, and we loved to eat rabbit. So we went, and we had a great time. Well, then, along the way, my dad got introduced to the concept of field trials with these dogs, where there would be a competition where the dogs would be judged on their performance in chasing a rabbit. And my dad is a competitor. He loves competition. He loves sports. And so if score is being kept, he is into it. And so when he found out that we could graduate from just shooting rabbits and eating them to being graded and finding out if our dogs were better than other people's dogs, there was a whole shift that happened for us. So I became a dog handler in these field trials, and he competed all across the deep south and ultimately multiple field champions and stuff. He was into it, recognized, highly, highly uh, uh, acclaimed for, for his ability in doing that. Now, let me tell you, what happens is you get these dogs, and you get them to the field trial, and you turn them loose with a pack of other dogs that they're competing against. They have a number painted on their side. There's two judges that run behind this pack of dogs, usually maybe up to 10, but usually about seven or eight dogs in one pack. They're, the judges are running behind them. Handlers like me are running behind the judges at a right distance. And back in, it's hard to even imagine in my age now and the way my body feels that I did that. I ran through the woods so I could see my dog do, do its thing. And you follow up and there's a group of people over here that are the gallery. They were either the ones that couldn't run or they just were there just to kind of enjoy the fellowship and the, the food we're going to eat later on or whatever. But every now and then when the rabbit would make a circle and go back by them, they'd see the dogs. They'd see which dog was leading the pack and which one was staying as close to the line. So those dogs are being judged on how close they stay to exactly where the rabbit ran. If they're off to this side or off to that side, that's deductions. That doesn't work. That's not good. If that rabbit makes a turn, of course, the dogs haven't seen it. The rabbit's on up ahead. They, they're going by nose. If the rabbit makes a turn and those dogs overrun that, they better just overrun it by just a couple of yards and then turn around and get right back there. And the dog that leads them back and picks it up the quickest to know where the rabbit went, he gets a check. Don't y'all feel so informed now? Do you know that you understand gun dog beagle field trials, right? We were into that. Let me just tell you what happened with it. We never had to make or convince our beagles to run rabbits. We never showed our dogs a trophy and said, hey, look, if you do good, you get this. This is what it's about. So you get out there and don't you embarrass us. That's, that's not how it went. Those beagles, when we went to their kennel to get them, they were geeked up and excited. When we put them in the truck, they were geeked up and excited. 
when we opened up the, ta the, the tailgate and, and the, the dog box to let them out, they were geeked up and excited. When we let them off of the leash, when the judges said, cast your hounds, we turn them loose, they were on. We never had to convince them. Why? Because that's what they were born to do. It's what was in them. It's what they were wired up for. How about you? What are you wired up for? What are you pursuing? Beagles pursue rabbits because they're beagles. Believers should be pursuing Jesus because we're his. We're believers. That's what we're wired up to do. And so if you had to be honest right now and evaluate where you are in your pursuit of him, would it be a situation where just being honest, you'd have to say, you know, it takes some convincing for me. Man, uh, it takes somebody working me over. It takes somebody pointing it out in my life. Boy, it takes some good music and some preaching that really connects with me or whatever like that. And I'm ready to do a little bit better this week. Or would you say, you know, God's been so good to me. And my love for him is so deep. And I take such great joy in pursuing him that I can't help but do what is in me. As believers, we are created to be conformed into the image of his likeness. And so if we are not in that process of being conformed into the image of his likeness and maturing as believers, then we are woefully missing out on what we're wired up to do. And you'll never know the fullness of his pleasure in your life. You'll never know the fullness of the abundant life that he calls you to live unless you're walking with him and you're pursuing him that way. So that's what we're aimed toward. I know that we have all been frustrated by being stuck behind drivers on the road that were not going the speed limit. Ones that just were not, they're just holding up traffic right there. Really frustrated. I'm going to pause a minute and let y'all let loose a little bitterness right here and just chill for a minute. It's not a spiritual issue on their part. It can be on yours. Okay, we good? But like you, I have wanted to stick my head out the window. And especially, I mean, it's one thing if it's somebody that's just being a little bit slow. But when they've got an automobile that you know was not made to go slow, that really gets on me. And I'm not saying I've ever been behind one of these. I've been behind some fast cars before that ought to be going faster. But I just want to stick my head out the window and yell, you got a Lamborghini, man, drive like it. <laughs> spiritually speaking, spiritually speaking, if Jesus lives in you, if that resurrection power you have said yes to and received and you grab hold of, it's in your life. Okay. You need to know that you've got a Lamborghini, so to speak. Don't be stuck over here with some old rust bucket that it's a car, but it ain't accomplishing much. Man, you are called to live a life of pursuit and of action and of abundance with him driving you through the power of his Holy Spirit that's available because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you've got access to resurrection power. Spiritually speaking, you have got the keys to a Lamborghini. 
Crank it up and drive it. Crank it up and drive it. Would you bow with me? Could you be honest in this moment? Would you say that you are maxing out on your pursuit of maturing as a believer in Jesus Christ? Are you like Paul? Are you, are you pursuing that upward call? Are you committed to maturing as a believer in Jesus? Or have you just kind of been puttering around? Would you just be honest in this moment? And if that's you, if you're just kind of puttering spiritually, would you say, Lord, that's me. And I'm sorry. I know that's not what you call me to be. I, I need to remember that first love, that love that I had for you that's based on the love that you had for me. Lord, I need to be able to experience the joy of my salvation again. And so, Lord, I am recommitting myself to pursuing maturity as a believer. I want to hit all the markers that I need to hit. Lord, I want to be devoted to you. I want to walk closely with you. I want to be a generous giver. I want to be someone that shares my faith and, and helps make disciples and worships you. Lord, all of these things that I know are signs of health in a believer that's maturing. Lord, I want that in my life. So help me to make a change and to break out of these ruts and to get after it with you. Now, if you'd have to be honest right here and say, you know, okay, I... I'm not in that race. I'm not in pursuit because I've never said yes to Jesus to begin with. I, I need that in my life. I need Jesus in my life. And right now, I would invite you to say yes to Jesus. Would you turn your life over to him? Would you receive the invitation that God gives you that based on his love for you, that caused him to send his son to pay a sin debt that you owed but you couldn't pay, only his perfection could take care of that for you? Would you just confess that and say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I need you to forgive me. Thank you for Jesus and the price that he paid. Now take over my life. Come in to me. Change me from the inside out. I want to have expressed belief in you. I want to show you my love. And I want to experience the joy that Mark's been talking about. So would you please take over my life from this day forward? And I mean this with all of my heart. Now help me know what to do next. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we hope, again, that you were uh, encouraged by what God had to say for you and for your life. I just want to extend an invitation for you today. Maybe today you realize that you need Jesus in your life. Maybe today you just need to take that next step in your spiritual walk, or maybe you've got a spiritual need. And I want you to know that we would love to come alongside you and serve you any way that we can. Feel free to reach out to us at firstwest.cc, or you can call the church, 318-322-5104. And we would love to help you in what God is doing in your life. Have a great day.